welcome to our podcast. We are The Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us today uh, for the first episode of our second season. We're back! Fighting time! We are back, baby. We're back, yeah. Because second season. Yeah, we just yeah, we had to kick off our second season sooner rather than later because we just couldn't keep away. Personally, I found uh, yeah, I found myself talking about my favorite films to the walls. I don't know about you, Nick. I uh my 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 friends have have been getting a bit sick of me talking about, you know, the the random action movies that I've been watching um that they've never seen. Um so it's good to uh it's good to kind of talk talk shop again, if that makes any sense, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, like season two. I it's I'm honestly <laughs> like we what we've done. I think what we've done this season um, was what our initial idea was, where we were just going to do a set number of episodes. Um, you know, when we started off last year. But obviously, last year, you know, everything all kicked off, and we were just like, you know, just keep going with it, and then we ended up getting a bit burnt out. Um, yeah, it was fun, but um, it was one of those things because we really liked what we were doing and we had nothing better to do because everything was kind of closed. <laughs> so we just yeah. decided, let's just run with it. Um, so by the time December kicked in, we were like, okay, we need a break, people. Let's just yeah. cool off. We, 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 had to, we, we had like a couple of episodes actually planned in December that um including today's episode we actually did have planned in december before we just kind of sat back and go no no we're going to do the christmas one and then we're going to take a break yeah um and i i I do think that's kind of you know doing this because we're doing a set number of 12 episodes um that's obviously not including you know special episodes so if for example the french dispatch actually finally comes out we will do a special episode on that and where's anderson yeah, um, that that would be um, a must. That will be happening. Yeah, I really don't know um, when that's coming out, but I really want to. It's kind of my first, the the the, the, the go to film that I had in mind for twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one or God knows twenty twenty two. Yeah, my mine is um, mine is Godzilla versus Kong. Of course, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'd be very. I'm actually going to be quite upset that I don't think I'm going to be able to see it at the cinema. But I think I'm just going to have to sit three inches from my television. Um, so yeah. Do you think uh, it's going to be on like Netflix and stuff? I think. Um, I think that is going to be under like the the HBO thing that Warner Brothers did, and in oh, turn over here, yeah. it's going to turn into you know Sky. I think Sky has got the deal with HBO, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think so. But we're, you know, we're also getting, you know, over here we're getting, you know, Disney Plus um, have uh, launching their Star Net, you know, Star programming, which is basically everything that they acquired from um, 20th Specific. Century Fox. Okay. Um. So you know they're going to have you know all the episodes of like How I Met Your Mother, Family Guy, and all those sitcoms, and then they're also going to have you know like the Die Hard films, the Alien films. Um. I think that's starting off in a couple of weeks. Um, launching in a couple of weeks, so um, I have a feeling they might be launching French Dispatch onto that. Um, I'm not sure how I feel yeah. about that. I I really really miss the cinema. Um, yeah, me too. I, yeah, I I was lucky enough to manage 
a film or two films during December. Wow. What did yeah. you see? I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at the BFI. That's I... uh, Chadwick. That was Chadwick Boseman's last film, yeah, wasn't it? It was. It was. And it was actually quite good. Okay. Um, it's based on a play, so you kind of. It's quite theatrical and quite wordy and performance led, not as much as action led, but it is a very good film. It's like tour de force uh, in terms of performances from uh, Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis, who is incredible. I think she's incredible in anything she does anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a feeling I had, I, I'd seen something else, but I can't remember. Oh, yes. I went to see a, a documentary of Marlene Dietrich because it was Marlene Dietrich season at the BFI in December. How was the documentary? It was very good. It was very good. Yeah. Um, I I actually haven't um been to the cinema since we saw since I saw Tenet. Really? Um, uh, yeah, Edinburgh. Edinburgh is like complete because Nicola Sturgeon's like you know nothing's happening, nothing's open. Mm. So except the hospital where I work. So that's um basically that. Um, so basically I've been spending my time after I finished work watching eighties and nineties action movies I haven't seen. Um, that must have made you been, happy. Yeah, well, I've I've been pleasantly surprised because I finally got around to watching um, Air Force One, and I thought that oh, this was really good. And then I had a friend suggest uh, Executive Decision with um, Kurt Russell, and that was amazing. Um, I finally and I watched the Universal Soldier series. Um, the, <laughs> oh my god! So John Paul Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren. Oh god, yeah, that is quite a classic. So the first one's really, really good. There was a second one that came out in the late 90s, which was terrible. And then I watched the third one, which came out a few years, like in 2009. There was um, a third which was one? A lot, yeah, which was a lot better than, than it should have been. And there was one that apparently came out in 2012, um, which I haven't got around to watching yet. Hopefully I'll, I'll watch it by the time we record next week. I'm going to let you know how it is. But mm-hmm. um, that's kind of basically my thing, is watching these 80s and 90s action movies. And uh, WandaVision as well, which is utterly excellent. I know, I've seen you tweet about it. I must confess I'm not too curious about it. Maybe I'll get around to watching it, but at at the moment I'm not in the right frame of mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's all Marvel, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's fine. It's just Um, like I'm kind of all marveled out. (laughs) Yeah, I've got to admit, when, when the first episode started and it played the Marvel fanfare... I, because it had been, you know, since I was by my far from home was what July twenty twenty. Yeah. No, no, a bit lower further. Yeah, July twenty twenty. So it kind of, it was like this is a nice feeling hearing this fanfare again. Hmm. Um, made me miss the cinema a lot better as well. So yeah, July twenty, July twenty nineteen, far from home came out because obviously twenty twenty was a complete write off. So yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, so like, been... there's not much, there haven't been many releases in 2020, except for Tenet, no. of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of, I think that's kind of a nice, uh, kind of got us all really caught up, um, what we've kind of been doing. Yeah. Um, before recording, you know, before actually setting off for season two. Um, cool. What, what are we doing today? Today, we are going f- we're going very European 
but not really. I mean, European communist, romantic, comedy, drama. I don't know. Yeah, romance, real love, romance, really, love gritty realism versus. I don't know, Lubitsch. Like... Lubitsch, because yeah. Lubitsch is just everything that is good and pure about comedy. Okay. I think. I mean, we discussed it last year when we discussed um, Shop Around the Corner. If you remember. Yes. Christmas episode. Yes, our Christmas episode. Listen to our Christmas episode if you haven't already. Yes, because uh, we uh, bang on about how great Lubitsch is. And I'm very happy. And it's it's not a coincidence that our first episode of the second season starts with a Lubitsch film. Yeah, it was actually this. This was this was meant to be the episode we were meant to do a week after Christmas. So we were going to do shop around the corner, training places. Then we were going to do Ninotchka, um and uh, Cold War, um, which was going to be the following episode. But like I said, you know, we're going. We thought we would take a month off and we'll kick off season two with it. And I think yes. it's a nice kind of bridge between the two seasons. Absolutely. So yes, we start off our second season with. What I think is probably Greta Garbo's best role, um, Ninochka, released in 1939. And I have a quick synopsis before I ask Nick what he thought of it. Careful, Nick, because, you know, you've not seen Garbo before. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, a stern Russian woman sent to Paris on official business finds herself attracted to a man who represents everything she's supposed to detest. Yes, Nick? What did you think of Ninochka? So this is my first Greta Garbo film. Um, you know, for, for, for many months, uh, you know, you've told me not to look at Greta. Or, I was hoping you know, but... that you'd... you'd I, basically, what I, the reason I asked you not to look her up or watch anything by her was that I wanted you to get that first impression I got when I saw her yeah. at the train station. I, yeah. I do. I, I so we'll get on to that in the thing, but um, this is also my third Lubitsch film. Um, so if you remember, if you remember our Christmas episode, I said that Shop Around the Corner was my first one from Ernst Lubitsch. In between that time, I had watched uh, To Be or Not to Be, which I had to watch from my master's course. Yes. Um, and I had spoken to Danny about it um in January and and told her how much I loved it. um i've really really enjoyed to be or not to be and i really think that if i hadn't seen those two films um shop around the corner and to be not not to be i honestly think i don't think i would have been as positive and as receptive and as on board as i am you know as i am now if that makes any sense um i think there's something about Lubitsch's style and the humour that's kind of within his films that I really think I would have struggled if I hadn't seen... I wouldn't say struggled, but I would have been a bit kind of off-kilter with it. I wouldn't have been as as much, you know, on board with what was being shown. Okay. Um, what do you think that is? I think it's... I don't know. that, that You know, that I knew what... I kind of knew what to expect after especially to be or not to be is kind of like a good kind of comparison piece with this in that both films deal with politics in in a in a um a humorous way you know to be or not to be is is you know 
deals with the Nazis and the yeah. war effort. And, you know, there's the excellent scene at the beginning where he's going, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. And then the guy comes in and goes, Heil myself. Um, <laughs> which is, it is, I honestly thought the bit in Jojo Rabbit with the Heil Hitler couldn't be topped until I saw that. So, um, I think, yeah, I think Taika Waititi always did a bit of a debt to Ernst Rubich. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he, I think it really does, um, and I, you know, see the way that film kind of approaches its politics is very, very similar to how Ninochka, um has show reveals its politics. Um, so I think, I think for me personally, I think having those two films beforehand has kind of allowed me to be a lot more on board with what Ernst Lubitsch actually does, um, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I knew that the film wasn't going to be as black and white as, you know, communism is bad and the bourgeois, you know, capitalism is good. I knew it wasn't going to be as simple as that. Um, what I think the film does very, very well, this is Ninochka. What I think Ninochka does really, really well is through Leon and the Tatilia Ninochka is to show the error of both positions. Yeah. Um, I I was really kind of receptive to that. I think what the film does, it does something really clever in that at the start, you know, we believe that the jewels that is kind of hinge the plot hinges on. Um, I want to say Deus Ex Machina, but it's not actually. It's a it's a MacGuffin. So the MacGuffin of these jewels, it is. You know, they belong to the Countess, and we believe as the audience that they are rightfully hers. But when Ninochka kind of shows up and then when she ends up kind of letting a bit loose and shows her passage and passion and her heart, we understand that the human cost and the emotional behind them and we end up becoming more and more invested in her position, which is, I think, a very, very clever way to do it. Um, I think that the film mocks both sides of the argument. I think it shows that communist Russia is full of everyday disappearances in hypocrisy um there was the funny scene in the visa office where the the visa officer says you know um he went away you know you need to ask his widow and it's quite a throwaway <laughs> line and, and you know there's a couple of bits in that that are jokes between about siberia um yeah. you know and there's kind of like mocking the failure of, of stalin's five-year plan um <laughs> and it also shows how the wealthy people living in Paris are very, very shallow and callous and cruel and and just not nice. You know, the Countess, when we meet her, we, you know, we, we think that this is our heroine. Like when I was obviously introduced to her, I thought this was our heroine, obviously not Greta Garbo, but I thought this is the, the, the character that we're meant to be kind of getting behind her story. But really? as the story goes on, yes, I did, because I obviously I didn't know how the film was going to progress. So obviously she's the first main character that we meet before we meet Leon. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm on board. I want her to get her jewels. And as the film kind of progresses, you know, I feel I feel disdain for this character. You know, I, I'm, I, I was upset about her demands at the end and all this kind of stuff. Um... I think that the character arcs of Leon and Nonochka are very, very excellently pulled off by, by Greta Garbo and Melvin Douglas. I thought their chemistry was, was really, really, it was really, really good and it developed really, really nicely. And I did honestly feel really heartbroken when she, she was forced to go back to Moscow 
And then in turn, you know, I was relieved and happy when they ended up together in, in Constantinople. Um, I thought that the direction was tight and was clever. I thought there were some shots of Garbo that really, really highlighted her beauty um, and really, really kind of showed her off. Um, you know, I talked about how in Shop Around the Corner, uh, I can't remember if I even mentioned this in Shop Around the Corner but uh, when we're doing that episode, but... You know the direction of Ernst Lubitsch. There were some real shots of real beauty, and you can kind of, kind of see that carrying on here. I, I don't know which film came first, but you um, know, there well, is a definite came style. First, but yeah, there's a definite yeah. style. Yeah. Um, which you don't, you don't really expect from films of this era. You know, you, film style isn't really something you. You keep from... saying that, and then it, I keep proving you wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do. You do. Um, I, I, it, I think it's because there was there I were have, auteurs I... in Hollywood. There were, and here's yeah. here's one. Here's one. Uh, yeah. Um, like I said, for for many months, you kind of told me to just avoid Greta Garbo because you wanted me to go with fresh get, eyes. Get the get the impression now. Her presence is really, really captivating. When she got off the train, I was kind of like, oh, wow, here is a real... This is somebody special. Yep. And then the moment when she walks out in her evening gown, uh, in that scene, it was probably... The, the only comparison I could think of was when I saw Ingmar Bergman in Casablanca. Ingrid Bergman. In which... Ingrid Bergman, sorry. <laughs> Ingrid Bergman, in which I actually felt something. Yeah. If that makes any sense, it it doesn't. If this doesn't happen with me, where I I see an a, a actress, you know, and I I or an actor, and I I immediately feel something powerful. Ingrid Bergman had it. Humphrey Bogart had it. Yeah. Um. I think controversially, I think Tom Cruise has it. Um. If we go modern modern yeah. actors. But yeah. I think I think Greta Garbo has it as well, and there's yeah. something inherently powerful within that, and I, I really, really felt it, and I really, really appreciate that you were like, no, you need to wait, you know, until yeah. we talk about it, so you could hear my reaction for the first time. Um, you know, I've spoken in the past about how I kind of have this addiction on YouTube of, you know, reaction videos of people seeing movie moments for the first time, and these are all like, you know, big movies and you know, people seeing Lord of the Rings for the first time or Star Wars for the first time and they see Darth Vader reveal and all that kind of stuff and you see their reaction shock face. Um, but I think the purest form of that is me seeing Greta Garbo for the first time <laughs> or me seeing Mar Bergman for the first time. I think that's kind of like the classic version of that. It's like We should we should do a, a channel of a YouTube channel with just classic versions. We should Oh, really should. Imagine people seeing Greta Garbo's gorgeous face. Apparently someone did a study and they've decided, they've come to the conclusion, they've measured pictures of her. And she had mm. the most symmetric, most like perfect face. There was no... I honestly think, I honestly think for, for, for actresses, I think, you know, Ingrid Bergman and, and Greta Garbo were the two up there for me so far. From that, from this era, from this era of of of, of Hollywood, because mm. um, you know actresses were framed a lot, shot a lot differently back then than they are now. So this, you know, it's a different kind of way yeah. that they're shot. 
Yeah, um, but I think because I've studied well, not her face, but I've studied lots of images of of Garbo, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't a big it wasn't like say John Crawford where there was a lot of artifice around her. Um, Garbo really was naturally beautiful. I did feel that because, like you know, usually with actresses, you know, we we, we kind of see uh, Joan Crawford is an example because we've had Joan Crawford films on this podcast before. Yeah, you know, I I have said about how like the key lighting is is important it automatically goes on to her because like it's like the key lighting is like this is a star this is who you need to pay attention to yeah but with Greta Garbo it only does it like two or three times in this yeah it's 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 it doesn't happen very often and still um, you get that moment, aura still of you her get it, exactly and when she puts on that when when you know Leon <laughs> puts that crown on her and it's just like this is this is incredible she's incredibly beautiful um, she is. You know, it's an incredible screen presence. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, I think for me, the only person who even comes close is Ingrid Bergman uh, when I saw Casablanca for the first time. She was radiant um, in that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Casablanca does, does do the key lighting touch with Ingrid Bergman, but it doesn't, it doesn't detract from the impact the way the, yeah. you know the key lighting effect does when when it comes to Joan Crawford you know when we saw Paid or um what was the other ones Johnny we saw? Guitar Johnny Guitar <laughs> um yeah so I I did I really really enjoyed this um I do really really appreciate the fact that I do think me having seen Shock Around the Corner to be not to be has kind of helped me appreciate this a lot more um, because I was on board and I knew exactly kind of was on board and know exactly what to kind of expect from this movie in terms of its themes and how it's going to approach its subject matter. Yeah. Um, and I really am thankful that I did that, had that before because it meant I could concentrate all my energy on Greta Garbo, which was the whole reason why you wanted this episode on the podcast because you wanted to be able to talk about her. Yes. Um, yes. And I would be more than happy to have more of her films and I would also be more than happy to have another Lubitsch. Um, you know, this is now my third Lubitsch film, so I, I, I'm hope I maybe can I say I'm a fan of his work yeah, now. Like, yeah. Okay. I've now seen three. Next. Um, ne speaking of threes, no, next time we're gonna do Design for Living, which is the most pre-code of films. Okay. Uh, but again, um, stay away from Lubitsch until I tell you to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think. I think my, 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 the moment which kind of, I was, I was sold on the humour and I have a feeling this was a Billy Wilder line because he was just one of the screenwriters was the line, um, where the waiter comes up to, to Leon in the, in the restaurant and says, you know, that she's spreading communist propaganda <laughs> in the, the powder, powder room. room. Um, <laughs> I just, it's one of those excellent lines and then he, retorts back you know he, he goes he goes away to go there oh, and then yeah. he comes back to the bar and he triple brand, asks triple for a brandy. triple brandy um and that 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 was just it's just one of those movies i was so happy to to kind of see it was um yeah, yeah. if if we can get a movie reaction channel where it's people watching moments like that i'll be more than happy with that yeah <laughs> we should we should definitely do it i think i think it will catch on so yeah, I'm really happy that that was quite a lengthy analysis of the film. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Thank you. Well, season for... two, isn't it? We've got to got to go all in on season two. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy that you liked it, and I'm, I was. I wasn't really as nervous as I normally am with films that I suggest because I was pretty sure that you would you would enjoy it. I, and seeing, I mean, Garbo is is an incredible presence on screen, and I think the great Orson Welles lo- loved her very very much, and she yeah she's just incredible. And I th- I think I personally I, pr- I prefer this role to all the other roles she's done. Not to diminish um, her acting career because it is quite su- substantial, despite the fact that after Ninochka she only did one more film and retired. And I would always think about what career she could have had because there's pictures of her as an like an older lady and she still looks stunning. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine and I think Ninochka is a is proof that she could she could do comedy very well and she could make fun of herself and she could be natural and restrained and have a restrained um performance and not be over the top the way most acting most performances were in those days so i think she could have done like modern acting like method or something more natural um if she had been sort of guided and, and sort of trained in that. Um, so you reckon, reckon going along the path of like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, kind of along that path? Um, no, because I think both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were very, were they had one trick. They, I mean, they were quite versatile in their trick, but they weren't, tra- they were not, you know, it, they weren't like Barbara Stanwyck, for instance, who could lose okay. herself in in most of the roles that she was doing. Um, and Barbara Stanwyck was quite effortless in in her career, whereas Betty Davis and both both and John Crawford were always kind of struggling to find roles, even in a late career. Um, where, whereas Stanwyck was just, you know, effortlessly getting parts and didn't have to and the same with um Catherine Hepburn I think Stanwyck and Hepburn are kind of like the examples of acting that stood the test of time um I mean I love Betty Davis and I love John Crawford and I think they were masters at their work but sometimes you watch a film and you're like maybe they're you know chewing the scenery a bit too much yeah Paige Paige being the example I yeah think of. yeah um yeah. But with, I mean, and there are examples in Garbo's career, for instance, Grand Hotel springs to mind, uh, where she could have, she was a bit, not over the top, but quite dramatic and theatrical. But I think with Nunochka, she shows that she, she can be very, very versatile and she could do very restrained performances where she can just, you know, doesn't do anything except just standing there and looking stern and everything is in her eyes and you could see the emotion and she doesn't even have to do anything. Um, so yeah, it just, it feels quite heartbreaking for me who I want to, I want to be able to watch more Garbo film, films and not stop at Ninochka, which was her last great film. The film that comes after, which is her final film, doesn't even 
it's not even worth mentioning because it's it was not very good at all, it's it? not very good at all and it's the reason partly the reason she she went into retirement straight after um and never came back because she was always afraid that she might not be able to to take another flop she was very very um shy and self-conscious and very very she she never did theater for instance because she was always afraid that she might not be good enough so she didn't actually have that much confidence in her abilities um but yeah i could i could go on and on and on about garbo yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because i mean i've started my my final master thesis will be on garbo and barbara stanwick so yeah there's a lot of information there so wish me luck <laughs> but i'm i'm really glad that you've uh, you've picked up on the on the chemistry between her and uh, melvin douglas and i think it was just so funny and and charming and if you if you liked them two together, I give you permission to watch another film that is not as good as Danochka. Very few films are, um, and but it's still an interesting film. It's called As You Desire Me, and they're paired together. Right, okay. And I think Eric Eric von Stronheim is in it, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I would love to have more Lubitsch films on, on the podcast and I would love to have more Garbo films on the podcast. And funnily enough, um, Garbo liked, she actually was quoted as saying that Lubitsch was her favorite director and she wanted to work with him for a very long time. So this kind of came towards the end of her career, but I'm glad it did. because it's, it's something marvelous and um, it was, you know, it's it, you, the writing is is absolutely incredible, and I'm sure you must have missed some some barbs here and there because they're quite subtle, and you pick up on them like third fourth viewing, um, because you know you have writing from Europeans like Billy Wilder and Walter Reich, and Lubitsch himself came up with some stories, and I think one of the stories that I know he Lubitsch came up with was the uh, the hat gag. So like the, so, which which one's that? So basically the they there had, are a lot of hats. They were so. no, they had to they had to no the, the Ninochka's hat. Oh right, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if that was a joke or not. I was trying to like So I think this... the story goes that they were trying to figure out a way to present to sort of depict Ninochka's relationship with capitalism and how we would develop. So they came up with the with the hat. So she she looks at the hat and she's like, "This is stupid." You know, um, how can such a civilization survive, which permits to put things like yeah. that on their heads? Um, and then you see her wearing the hat. So basically, now she's embraced capitalism, and she's look. She doesn't. She's not afraid of looking silly anymore because she's in love. So having that, I think that was that was Lubitsch's idea that he was. You know, how do we how do we portray that? Anyway, um, it's, and then it's, I don't know, it's very hard to sort of establish which, who wrote what, um, because they were all very, very, they worked, they worked together all the time. So all the writers collaborated. So it's kind of hard to sort of pinpoint what idea became, came to whom. Um, but I will leave you, um, I, I will conclude my Ninochka presentation with a funny story that I don't know, I don't think you'd know. Apparently, um, 
Have you seen Red Heat? Uh, that is on my list of 80s and 90s action movies I haven't seen. <laughs> okay. Apparently, for the, for his performance in Red Heat, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger was asked by the director, Walter Hill, to study Garbo's performance in Inochka. That's actually incredible. <laughs> um, because he wanted the, the really deadpan, um, stern you know emotionless performance and very like stiff uh from from Schwarzenegger but yeah I'm, I've not seen Red Heat so I'm, I'll be quite quite curious to see what Schwarzenegger made of of that um direction <laughs> I think I think I, I, I'll, I'll probably I will watch it uh before we re- record next and I will and let we can you know. talk about it I can let you know how his performance compares to Greta Garbo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I, yeah, I would be happy to have more Greta Garbo films to talk about um, to see how her career... Maybe we can try a silent was. film next. Yes, yes. Because, you know, I, I, silent films is a very, very blind spot yeah i think it's quite interesting because um most people have always been like you know greta garbo was always overacting but if you watch her silent film she doesn't actually say much or you know gesticulate as much as most of the other actors of the era uh because her eyes were very her face was always very expressive yeah so she didn't really need to do that much and with a bit of lighting and um camera work she was just able to, to to do a lot um and there's a few really really interesting films with her and um john gilbert who um funnily enough he was engaged to her and she left him at the altar oh, wow. and then he got engaged to um Ina claire who plays um a grand duchess Warner in ninochka Oh, so there's like actual kind of underlying tones between yes. the two actresses. That's pretty cool. Uh, but I think, let me just double check, but I think John Gilbert was dead by this point, by the time Ninochka got released. Yeah, he died in 1936 and Ninochka was released in 1939. But still some sort of rivalry was was there between Ina Claire and, and Garbo. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. I mean, I have a lot of stories, but I think we should probably leave it there for now. Yeah, no, you've got to save them for the other times we get <laughs> yes, to talk yes. about. Her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. All right. We're we're gonna jump at this point then, and, and say we're gonna move on to the next <laughs> film. Um. Before Danny um, shows all all her all her cards. No, um. So yeah, we we the the film we've got it paired with. Um. Because the the direction I was given with the pairing was Soviet, it was like communism, romance, and cross paths or something. That was the direction you gave me. Yeah. Um, um, so this is what I went with. Um, okay, I went yeah. with 2018's Cold War, directed by I'm going to butcher this Pavel Pavel Lukowski. I think that's how you say his name. Starring uh, Joanna Kulig and Thomas Cott. Um, he was the director of uh, Ida, um, which won the Best Foreign Language Oscar 
um, in 2016, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, so I have a little bit of a brief synopsis. Uh, a man and a woman meet in the ruins of post-war Poland. With vastly different backgrounds and temperaments, they are fatally mismatched and yet drawn to each other. So it's a very, very concise kind of um, uh, like overview of, of the, of the of 19 minute film. So, Danny, what did what did you think of Cold War? Yeah, um, I was prepared to like it. Um, I like most films that are made black and white. There's there's something cinematically incredibly beautiful and sexy uh, in a black and white film, and I think we should have more of them. Um, it was I really liked it. It was very very well done. I love the cinematography. Um, the acting was incredible. I was a bit concerned at one point because it was very, it's a very dark film, even though it has a love story at its center, but it's such, such realism that I don't, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to work with Ninochka, but I'm, at the same time, I'm kind of glad because you you get the, you know, lightweight comedy of a very terrible situation, which is, you know, communism. Uh, but then you see the gritty realism of, of something like that, like a love story between two mismatched people, like you said. Um, so I think it's good because I've always wanted to see, to watch Cold War. And I'm glad that we paired it with something more lightweight to sort of balance it out. Um, I really liked Joanna Kulig's performance. I think she was incredible. Um, I, I wasn't too familiar with um, Paul Pawlikowski uh, and his style. I haven't seen either, but I I really liked it, and I understand it is inspired by the relationship his parents had. Yes, it is. I was going to say yeah. that for my bit, but I was sorry. Yeah. I was a bit intrigued when I saw at the end there was dedicated to his parents, so I just looked yeah. it up. Um. Apparently, and this is spoiler, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it yet, his parents also died together. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, it struck me at the beginning how musical and how metaphoric everything was and everything was kind of... I like the pacing. I know most people will probably find it a bit boring, but I really like the pacing. Because you have this thing where it's, it's lingering, it's staying with you. And you kind of feel the pain of, of the characters because they're waiting and they're still unfulfilled. I don't know if you got yeah. that out of it, but it was just like, he's not happy, she's not happy. And then they're happy, but they're not really there. And I yeah, I just really liked it. The beauty of the, of the floor court music, my, I don't know, struck someone who's not familiar with all like peasant popular songs but i've i've actually grown up with something similar it kind of brought me back because the first 10 minutes or so when they're just you know recording people singing i've known people like that where they were like singing at the corner of the street you know gathering around on saturday night and like bold um you know barn dancing and that sort of thing and i yeah i was it was it was quite heartbreaking but it was it was beautiful and it's sort of violent pain i yeah. and you could see that they weren't they weren't really mismatched because he was the artist and she was kind of like a bit 
she had a bit of a violent back background, but you, and she was quite damaged from the beginning. So she was, you know, lying her way into an artistic environment. Uh, but at the same time, she had lots of talent and she had lots of passion. So you could have seen him finding that in her, that beauty in her. And but he was always the bohemian, the bohemian artist of the two, and she was perhaps the more pragmatic one. Um, so it kind of it made me think that I don't know. I really don't want to say this because it will make me sad. But maybe if 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 the story of Ninochka had continued beyond that final loving embrace at the end, we would have seen something like this, because. Yeah. I think, and this, I, I'm going to quote this that this film that is just, you know, probably the only quotable line in the film, which is not a very good film, but it's still, um, is someone said, happy endings are just stories I haven't finished yet. What, what film is that from? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. I mean, it's not a great yeah. film, but that line always stuck with me because it is true. And it's very, I, th I love the way it was very realistically portrayed and I love the camera work and I love this. I love the way they were like looking at each other and not saying anything and you kind of understood them even though they, they didn't even have to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the cinematography is excellent. There's one, there's like one shot in particular when I first saw it, I didn't notice it. Didn't I? Didn't notice it until you're meant to notice it. So it's when um, uh, him and Irene, I think her name is, um, uh, at the party after the first performance, and they're stood next. They're stood, but I it guess... looks where the camera is. It looks like looks like they're a part of a crowd. No, but, but they are against the mirror. Like stood in front of a mirror. Yeah. Um. The first time I saw that, you know, obviously I was taken aback by, oh shit, that's a mirror. This time that I knew that that was a mirror, I was looking into the mirror and I could see his eye line meeting meeting her Zula. Yeah. Before yeah. the camera cuts to that, and she's just out of focus in this mirror reflection. Um. And it's an utterly, utterly stunning shot. Yeah. Um. Makes me think how you know how it's one of those shots. We think how the fuck did they do that? But yeah, um, yeah. I yeah, I I really really liked it. Um, I liked. I think this the 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 time they spent in Paris was quite heartbreaking as well as beautiful because you feel that okay now they're going to make it work now they're happy together because they're artists and they're you know recording together and they're going they're going to make it work. But then you see the, you know, the breakdown of she's not, you know, confident enough because she's not in control anymore. And she's in this world that she doesn't even, you know, understand. And I think that's that's the essence of living in the East and then moving to the West. You have this fear that yeah. I think it's the fear of success because, you know, she's got all these opportunities and she's afraid she doesn't really understand how to respond to them. Um, and, you know, the, the, and then, you know, madness ensues and she, she gets, you know, she becomes this person who's just very bitter. Um, I don't know. I was for, for a second that I thought that at the end, it just made me think of, I know this is going to sound crazy, 
well, it made me think of 20th century. And it, it felt to me that if it if it been a remake of 20th century made by, I don't know, Paul Thomas Anderson or Lynn Ramsey, it would have been like this. Um, we've had it on the podcast, like the zaniness and the craziness of, of two people who love each other, but who love the, the medium of the arts as much as they love each other. Um, and they just drive each other crazy at the same time. And I think that's the, there's a bit of that in there without the communist part. Well, Thomas Anderson actually did a romantic comedy, um, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. And yeah, um, I think I need Boston. to. I think I need to give that another shot because I was not invested in it first time round. Yeah, I see. I no, I, I see where you're coming from with the you know, like the you know the the violence of of the emotions and the outbursts yeah. and you know being possessive and being unsure and always you know tiptoeing around each other and just you know hurting each other um but ultimately still loving each other yeah but yeah i think it's a beautiful film and i would love to watch it again quite soon because there's like you said there's the i think there's a reality to the film that just lurks beneath the surface because it's not just about them two it's about what the system has done to them yeah and the indoctrination that they both have sort of over their shoulder. It's that idea because they, you know, they want to escape, but they want to escape together and they've got different ways of escaping. Um, and I think Zula at the end, is, uh, she, not at the end, when she eventually leaves for back to Poland, she just feels she doesn't deserve the happiness that she and Victor have together or could have together. And she runs away back to Poland, back back to where she knows, you know, the the system that she knows. And, you know, Victor's not whole without her, so he has to follow. And then tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think, yeah. It's quite I, heartbreaking. I think... Um, I think the image of him and with his fingers will always stay with me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, like I said, I, I think you are right in that we. It's kind of good that we've had this film this week with Ninochka, um, because both films kind of deal with similar themes, um, but in different ways, and this is this is the more heartbreaking. This is the heartbreaking one. This is the one that, you know, when I when I did when I did first see this film. You know that that ending shot. I was, I was, I kind of, I was really hit me hard. It, yeah. You know, really, really hit me hard. Um, you know, that let's go to the other side. There's a better view. Yeah. And the camera just lingers on that wheat field, and then there's like a gush of wind. Wind. Or, and, yeah, and an empty bench. Yeah. Um. And maybe the view is better from the other side. Who knows? But that's I, quite morbid. I, no, I I honestly think that that kind of gush of wind is like a a spiritual kind of thing. I think that's for me that that says that they passed when they left the bench. Well, that's what I mean. And then that is their that is them to you know off gone. And I I think you are right. I think it is there is better for them on the other side. Mm. Um. Yeah. 
yeah do you do you have anything else no i think yeah um yeah i thank you um uh, for suggesting it it was it was a beautiful film and i have a very good friend of mine who's polish and we wanted to see this together and we never got around to it because it was screening at various cinemas back in 2018 i think and we're like because he, he had a bit of um oscar hype i think it was nominated yeah, it is, for yeah. some oscars so but we never got around to it and now i'm glad that i've gotten around to, to watching it and talking about it and it's yeah it's just beautiful it's just a bit of in terms of style it was you know a bit like french new wave but also italian neorealism with you know modernity in in the middle it's just it's got everything and it's got it's so so many poetic scenes and like the camera work is just astonishing yeah it 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 really does like rewatching it makes me reminds me that i really need to watch ida because that film did win the best foreign language oscar um if it's so as heartbreaking if, you know, as this one maybe i'll give it a, a couple of months before i go back to that yeah yeah um so when i when i first saw this it was for a it was for my for my ba my, my bachelor's and um it was part of like an assignment where we had to do like different kind of bits, pieces of film criticism and what i did for this film was that i spoke to um so my best friend's girlfriend is polish um she moved over she's been over in the country now for about seven years i think um so when you know when this film when i watched this film i was like i had this idea of getting her to watch it and to interview her from getting this polish perspective um the full interview of that is on my website um i will post up the link on on the, the show notes um she did not like the film <laughs> she so you know how you were saying about how like the narrative where the way it kind of lingers you know some people don't like that she didn't like the the narrative structure of the movie i um, figured but, cause it, it might be yeah, it might be quite slow paced for some people yeah um but i did get some interesting things from her which i got some excerpts from uh here um from here so um regarding the music she said that the music that's playing in the film is from south poland um she said um i don't know if you noticed but the the singing was off tone um uh, like off the note this is how they would sing it off the note it's nice to listen to for me but chris who's who's my mate my boyfriend didn't like it because it was off the note but that's how they play it mm. but they were going from one part of poland folklore to another one and they're really, really close together, but they do sing slightly different, and they do cover the two regions. Um, and I, you know, one of the things that sh she did catch, um, and I, you know, I didn't know this until until my lecturer said, was that the song that Zula sings at the beginning with the other girl, there are different interpretations of that song through the film. Yes. So I don't know if you noticed if you caught I did. That in yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch yeah. that in my first viewing. It wasn't until afterwards where I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, no, yeah. you're right." I forgot to I forgot to mention that I really enjoyed the the music, um, especially yeah. the jazz bits were incredible, and that scene yeah. where where he does the piano and he cries just broke my heart. Yeah, um, the full like I said, the full interview has some interesting bits regarding religion um, and the approach to Catholicism in in the film. Um, because uh, Renata, she, she, you know, she just brought up a Catholic, so she has a very, very unique perspective 
into how that is shown in this particular film. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, once we got past the initial reaction of she didn't like it, we I got some really, really interesting things from her in terms of her kind of thoughts on some of the more um, different themes of the film. So I, if you want to give it a read, I'm going to post it up in yeah, the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you did say this. Um, so... Uh, it was Pavlovsky, the film, the film's director. The film is 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 based. The story is based on his parents. Um, so there are a lot of interviews that he did around about the time of the film. Um, I'm gonna put the links to them in in the show notes. I recommend going through all of them because it's really really interesting to hear him read him talk about his parents um, and the story of them. Um, so. This is this is from the Hollywood Reporter. Um, this particular this particular quote: um, the most most interesting dramatic characters I've ever come across. Um, Pavlovsky, sixty one, says of the couple who fell in love, betrayed each other, reunited, married, divorced, and were chronically on again, off again until their deaths in nineteen eighty nine, right before the fall of the Berlin Wall. He says both were strong, wonderful people, but as a couple, they were never ending disaster. How interesting. Um, he you know, said there, there's a, yeah. I was thinking about, I, I was thinking that they might, I kind of guessed that they were going to be off on again, off again for a long time. And I was kind of expecting them to sort of be reunited at the end after the walls uh, had fallen in, in a symbolic yeah. scene. Um, but I think that the ending that, oh, that we got in this is even more heartbreaking and even more poetic, I suppose. Yeah, because he said that in in another interview, I think it's in the one from the New Yorker. I think it's that one, or it might be the one with Vox, which I'm going to put in the in the show notes. Um, he does say that you know his parents reunited again in the in the 80s in Berlin, and kind of were so kind of old, but they kind of just knew he knew like looking at his parents that they had been through a lot, but they were so old, they still kind of held hands and hmm. were so deeply in love with each other that it, all the other stuff that went beforehand kind didn't of just didn't matter anymore. Didn't matter. And it, it's kind of like, it's a really pure form of the story of a, of a love story. Yeah. Um, I read that um, he wanted to, he, he didn't really want to do the story, but apparently Alfonso Coron kind of convinced him to kind of try it and see what would happen. So we kind of got Alfonso Cuaron to thank for this. Um, he So in The Hollywood Reporter, he gives some interesting things about um, Joanna Kulig's uh, role as Azula. Uh, he said, uh, she has this lively, li- liveliness, this spontaneity, says the director. Um, the article goes on and says, to help her con- conjure his mum's darker notes, a world-weary, beaten-down cynicism, Pavlikovsky gave her homework. He made me watch Lauren Bacall. Lots of Lauren Bacall, says Kulig. Mm. On set, if I started getting too lively, too excited, Pavel would just say, Lauren Bacall, and it was immediate. I'd go cool, my voice a bit lower, my words a bit sharper. Excellent. Um, I think that was a really interesting direction and i don't know if you kind of looking back whether you can kind of see that in a performance no i can't really think about it right now i i'm yeah i don't know if i've seen it but i can probably understand why it makes sense in in her mind 
to to do but because it, i i did pick i i think i've mentioned it she was the more pragmatic the more cynic the more uh down to earth person of the two he was the bohemian yeah. and she was so i think from that point of view yeah i kind of get it um yeah but i'm not sure if if because she's still she's still quite in love and maybe not dewy-eyed but you know She's it's a self it's a self destructive kind of love. Yeah, isn't it? it is a self destructive kind of love. Yeah. Um and lastly, like um it was this is a quote from Vox, um, and it's a sentence which I read and I was like, That's a really lovely sentence. This is from Pavlikovsky. Um he said, It's like music is the colour in a black and white film. Yeah. Um and I read that and I was like, oh, that's that's so true like you know it it's there's there's an energy to the music and it really really brings out the film a lot more more i think than if it was in and color, i think yeah sense. um yeah and i think it's very important to um i think if we were to do like a prob in-depth analysis of the film we would be able to find that there's you know the the comparison between like folklore music and the jazz music that he eventually plays is is quite symbolic as well. And you also got the the sequence in the bar where Rock Around the Clock plays, and she yeah you know, is let exactly loose exactly and he's, you know disinterested by what's going on, but she's in you know and obviously the song at the time you know it represents for me it represents like transgression because you know it's written I think Rock Around the Clock was an African American artist if I remember rightly. Um, I don't know if that's right, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Um, but, you know, it's that there's like a transgression there. It's like, you know, this is a, something that they wouldn't have in, in Soviet Russia or Soviet Poland. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I'm really, really happy that you, you liked the film. Um, and, it hit, and it sounds like it hit you as hard as it, as it hit me. It is a very, very, very good film. Cool. Cool. Um, so like I said, I'm going to add all that those those links into the show notes, uh, including my interview with with Renata. Um, it's a you know an interesting read, so I hope, hope everybody gets something out of it. Cool. Thank um, you. So that's that. Cool. So what have we got on for next week? So this is episode two of twelve. Um, I'm going to try and keep track of where we are in the season. But yeah, so episode two. Um, we are following on from the theme of love and romance. Um, so we will be discussing 1945's Brief Encounter, directed by David Lean. Um, yeah, that we, we wanted some David Lean on the podcast. Um, um, I wanted some David Lean on the podcast, and I think I had to sort of coerce you into... Um, putting this on second episode because I was just like, I need to talk about this film. Yeah. I, I did. I did want to, I did want to bring it later on because not to give anything too away for later on, we do have another David Lean film later yeah. on in the podcast. And I did kind of want to do a double bill, but Danny has kind of twisted my arm to get it on for episode two. I don't know. It was just one of those things that I've, I've loved this film so much and I wanted to watch it, to rewatch it and talk about it for so long. 
I would have put it. I would have put it as the first episode of season two if it hadn't been for Ninochka. If Ninochka <laughs> hadn't existed in the world, which is a terrible thing to think of, um, I would have said let's put Brief Encounter. I think Brief Encounter is probably my favorite romance film. Okay. Ever. So we're we're doing date Brief Encounter, um, and we're pairing this with um, a South Korean film called The Housemaid. From 1960, directed by Kim Ki-young. Um, so this film I initially saw, I first saw in 2018 at uh, Il Cinema Ritrovato in um, in Italy. Um, they had a whole season on on South Korean films from the 60s, 50s, and 60s. Um, this was one of the films that they shown. One of the three South Korean films I saw that 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 weekend that I was there. Um, and I'm not going to give anything away, but this film was also on um, Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Collection he did for Criterion a few years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, so this film is, is on that as well. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say this now. But the reason why this film is here is because of the direction I was given from, from Danny. So if, if it doesn't Counter. actually work, blame me. Blame, blame, blame the direction. But I think it's going to be an interesting, um, an interesting watch either way. And I'm really looking forward to finally getting watch, going over to watch uh, Brief Encounter. Ooh. Um. So that's that's next week. Um. In the meantime, um, you can find us on Twitter at Keenotomic. Um. We, you know, we. Ray actually did a bit more posting over the, over the Christmas period, so we're going to do a bit more on that. Um, and drop us an email, uh, keenatomic at gmail.com. We'll be more than happy to get um, some listen, listener emails. Um, and yeah, so Danny, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at keenojoan, and my website is keenojoan.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler, and my website is superatomovision.com. Um, so with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. A ja chłopca chabs za szyję będę kochać póki